can we see the future? Have we traveled in the Doctor's TARDIS? No, but we are taking a look at comic book solicitations. What's got us excited? The byword starts now. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast, the only podcast presented in Smellovision. This week, we're going back to the future, taking a look at the March 2023 solicitations. But first, as always, it's time for... Nerd News! Chris, what is new? Well, to be honest, Dave, nothing really jumped off of the... um the news sites this week to report on. So I'm going with uh, something that trusted and true. And in celebration of Stanley's 100th birthday, um, which, which took place on December the 28th, it was announced that Disney plus is going to be featuring a documentary on the life of Stan, the man uh, coming to Disney plus in 2023. Of course, Stan was co-creator of many of the superheroes that we love during Marvel's golden age silver age um is spider-man the fantastic four iron man black panther doctor strange um but you know in in years past this may have been something that i was head over heels excited for as just a marvel fanboy um but now i'm i'm kind of intrigued you know this is a disney you know instrument so i know um with all of the insight that was um given to us under uh, you know with um Abraham Reisman's book and kind of the untold stories that you don't get with the positive PR machine I'm interested I know this is going to be a fluff piece especially postmortem and stuff but I'm still going to be interested to kind of see how they present it what about you Dave yeah, you know, uh, I'm I'm not even 100% sure I'm actually going to take a look at this. Um, you, you mentioned Reisman's book, for example, as probably uh, a, a much better source as far as, you know, something that's a little bit more of a balanced portrayal and not, um, you know, straight up uh, Marvel propaganda, quote unquote, at this yeah. point. Uh, you know, Marvel Marvel Studios, with all the cameos and stuff, have definitely taken what was already a pretty towering figure um, in the history of comic books and put him even further on a pedestal and further, you know, mythologized him, I guess. Um, that, it, that at this point, it is highly unlikely that a corporation whose interests lie predominantly in, you know, um, making as much money as possible off of uh, things that he has created or co-created, that they are going to have any kind of honest criticism or anything like that. I mean, I'm not expecting there to be a segment about his, you know, strained relationship with Kirby, for example. I just, I, I just don't see something like that particularly um, I'm happening in, in, yeah, you basically said it right. This is probably going to be a fluff piece. So I'm not sure if it's going to be worth my time necessarily, um, unless, you know, I, I see some interesting stuff coming out of it from like, you know, fans reactions or stuff that I might take a look. Um, but I think I'm going to stick with Reisman's book and similar sources that are probably taking a more balanced, less mythologized look at the man. 
Yeah, in a lot of ways, he's become one of those characters that he created. In fact, you know, he was one that he created himself. Absolutely, yeah. All right, Dave, in the week that was lean on news, what do you have for us? Yeah, you're right. It is lean on news. So I'm I'm here to once again just be very, very sad about the cancellation of uh, Batgirl. Um, as 2022, uh, you know, faded into 2023, um, we actually got uh, another sort of moment of look what could have been um, because uh, Leslie Grace, the actor who uh, actually played Batgirl in the film, uh, shared an image of what would have been a second costume that she would have worn in the movie. Uh, this is a behind-the-scenes uh, shot. Uh, looks like she's getting ready to eat, you know, like lunch or something. Um, and she's wearing uh, a different suit than what has been in you know, most publicity stills and, and other behind-the-scenes footage. So what we know for sure is that at least initially the movie took visual cues um, from the uh, Batgirl of Burnside uh, storyline, that particular arc, and the very distinctive look that she had um, in that story. And it is a really, really good translation of that look. Um, my guess is that this second suit that they uh, featured is probably some kind of like, um, you know, not necessarily post credit scene, but something that happens really at the tail end of the film or something where perhaps, you know, you know, Michael Keaton, Batman, who was supposed to feature in the movie, uh, pops up and, and gives her like a, a, a better suit. It definitely has sort of a, a more, um, I guess, armored, not necessarily armored, but more padded look. Uh, than the Batgirl of Burnside suit. To be honest with you, I'm not super enamored with it. It definitely leans into the purple scheme. Um, kind of reminiscent of something like the current Batgirl design a little bit. Um, what she's running around in right now in, in Nightwing, I think in particular is where you see that suit a lot. Um, definitely not, you know, like Batgirl's classic look, but also not really the Burnside look, something that seems to take cues more from from current, you know, designs in the comic books. I'm not in love with it, to be honest with you, but then it's always difficult to judge a suit like this in in behind the scenes um, snapshots like that, you know, when you add, you know, lighting and post-production and everything, everything looks a little bit different. I do continue to be really in armor, though, with how they translated the Batgirl of Burnside look. Um, I think that suit, uh, to to borrow a phrase from the young ones, I think that suit totally slaps. Um, and I'm just really still sad every time I see anything um, from what could have been that we're likely never actually going to get a chance to see this movie. You know, with with how much I enjoyed Gotham Knights, and you know, for for a lot of in a lot of ways, it was an introduction to me from to Barbara. Um, it just became me increasingly frustrated. And then seeing this, this photo, you know, just reignited that flame. Um, also the directors behind it, because I love Miss Marvel so much. It was probably my favorite television series of last year. And then, and then the fact that, that it just doesn't exist. Like it's just been wiped like a men in black type situation. Uh, the, uh, the other news story I almost reported on, but that, that you don't really have any kind of, context for because you're not a fan of game of thrones but like the shake-up also was confirmed by george rr martin to have kind of axed some of the 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 plans that they had for you know the plans of of subsequent series and stuff so it's just like it's so frustrating that all the things that are coming out from this merger (laughs) yeah it's been it's been an unholy mess 
I mean, on the DC side of things, I still maintain some hope that moving forward, things are going to start improving and looking up. But but looking back at some of the things that got the axe, particularly this Batgirl movie, this is really just a sore spot for me because I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of the character and I was looking forward to seeing, you know, something happening here, you know, and and once you introduce Barbara, then you you finally, you know, might be able to actually have a moment where you can have you can have Black Canary and, and, and you know, Batgirl, like, sticking their heads together. And, and that relationship is so important in the comic book. So seeing those two together, um, you know, on the big screen would have been really something special. So this is this is something that continues to irk me to no end. Yeah, so much so that you you wanted us to fix Birds of Prey. And I know that you have technical holdups with that movie. But I said the bacon, egg and cheese scene alone keeps it from me. I, I cannot fix that movie because I've never related more to a scene than the bacon, egg and cheese scene. I, I adore the movie, don't get me wrong. But as a, as a Birds of Prey movie, especially considering how much Birds of Prey I've read, I've, I've read every Birds of Prey run at this point. Um, it's just one of my all-time favorite books, uh, especially you know Gail Simone's run in particular on that book is just so stellar. Um, that that was not quite Birds of Prey. I mean, there were there were shades of really good stuff in there, particularly Black Canary, um, but it felt more like a Harley Quinn movie than anything else. Um, and and there was some ball dropping going on there. And and I think one of the key ingredients that was missing was Barbara Gordon. I think that was sort of the key ingredient missing in in, in that movie. Speaking of balls dropping, um, I need an update on Journey Smollett's Black Canary projects because I'm re- I'm really concerned about that one. I don't I don't know if that one's going to survive the merger either, man. Everything is going to be cohesive moving forward. They would basically have to make the decision that they're going to keep Journey Smollett as you know Black Canary moving forward, and then you know, is there, are there even any plans for that character moving forward? Or is that not something that they're planning for in the 10 year plan? There's so many moving parts here, man. I really, really hope that we get to see this project, but you know, I'm not horribly hopeful at this point. Alrighty, folks, there you have it. Uh, A lean nerd news week. However, when we come back, we're going to dive deep into uh, March 2023 solicitations. And we're going to find some comic books that we are excited to pick up. So stick around. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome back. It is now time for Chris and I to whip out our crystal balls and uh, gaze into the future as we take a close look at the March 2023 solicitations in this week's... All right, so some ground rules here. We've never actually uh, done a whole episode just sitting down and taking a look at... uh, solicitations but i think it's totally something that we should be you know doing and if we have fun doing this we might do it a little bit more regularly um it is fun to kind of look through uh, you know the previews of what is coming in a couple of months and kind of get in a sense for um you know what what do we actually want to pick up what uh what's got us excited which artists and writers have us hooked before we even pick up the book like what is it that we're looking forward to and so chris and i have each chosen uh three books that uh, we are particularly uh, excited for. And we're just going to kind of talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what the preview tells us and why we're excited about it. And hopefully uh, you will find some stuff excited uh, to be excited about as well. 
So Chris, uh, launching into our big talk, what is the first thing that you are excited for? Well, first and foremost, to to make a correction, that, that old age is creeping up on you, friend. We have done an episode on solicitations before. <laughs> I do not remember this. I do not know her. <laughs> Uh, the the first book I'm excited for is has been my favorite book at Marvel over the last calendar year, and that is, of course, Amazing Spider-Man. I I pray at the altar of Zeb Wells uh, almost to that extent. Um, I know that you have your frustrations about your beloved cardboard personality Ben Riley um, and his heel turn, but at least it gives him some, you know character development that's not just a carbon copy of peter parker with blonde highlights um but i i'm excited for amazing spider-man uh issues 21 and 22 that are teased in these solicitations because it finally asks the question what did peter do um there's something that's been not quite right about this run and i don't mean that from my uh enjoyment of the series because i've enjoyed every single issue every single issue has been a home run for me um what I what I'm saying is is there's something not quite right plot wise that would see Mary Jane spoilers if you haven't read the arc. Um, Mary Jane is now in a committed relationship with someone else and has children, but it the timing doesn't fit. Like it's only been six months and she has children that I would guesstimate about six, seven to eight years old calling her mommy. Something doesn't feel quite right. Um, You do have a cover where they are huddled together. They've been ice cold towards one another since then. Um, So it says it's time. The arc will answer your questions, including what did Peter do? Who caused all of this? Um, And then in the second one, who is this mysterious figure? Um, and what what do they have to do with Peter and Mary Jane's disappearances? So for those of you who have been starved for Peter and MJ storylines, me, I've been completely fed because Marvel Editorial's um, commitment to keeping Peter and Mary Jane apart has just caused me to adjust my expectations and to go full force into Peter and Felicia. And so I'm super happy right now. But I'm also like... You know, Peter and MJ are great. Uh, it's a, I see this as an absolute win. Either way they go. Uh, this character that they that we see teased on the cover for 22 looks super weird and creepy, and I'm excited. <sighs> well, you know, I'm glad that you are excited. Um, I, I cannot say that, that Zeb Wells' you know, run has been the worst thing ever. That would be incredibly wrong. There's some very, very good stuff happening in this book. But I have... Um, I have a lot of frustrations with it. Uh, we are uh, at the point that these solicitations are hitting what lower. We're starting to scratch now, what, almost a couple of years since he took over? A year he t- since he took over? Something like that. A year, mm-hmm. right? Something like yeah. that. Um, and I'm, I'm not certain that the choice to do this mystery box storytelling, um, especially after the previous ongoing never-ending mystery run, uh, was was the right choice there's something really jarring going from the previous run to this run and i know there's a six month time jump blah 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 whatever um you know you you get mj and peter getting ready to move back in peter's life is looking up to suddenly boom everybody hates him 
Um, MJ, as you said, is you know in a relationship with somebody else. Uh, there, there is a certain degree of, of frustration, I think, that comes with this constant reset button. And I know this is an editorial mandate. I just find myself a little frustrated with it at this point. Um, I know there is a certain amount of resets being hit in comic books constantly. In fact, one of the things I'll be talking about as one of the things I'm excited about is something that you know, includes kind of a reset button, but I think a lot, it has a lot to do with how it's handled as well. And basically saying, you know, from one issue of amazing to the next, uh, by the way, everybody hates Peter. Now he did something, but I'm not going to tell you what, uh, his girlfriend ran off with somebody else and just deal with it. Like I didn't see anything in the stories that we've gotten from Wells that relied on that being the case. Like all of the, the tombstone stuff, for example, I thought was super cool. Um, and was probably one of my favorite things that I've seen in, in Amazing Spider-Man for a while. But that was not dependent on on everybody hating Peter and him being on the outs with MJ. Um, the stuff with Norman, although I'm not super, you know, into like reformed Norman Osborn, even like that with the suit and everything and his whole thing with the vulture, all of that stuff not dependent on this mystery box situation. So maybe the storyline will convince me. You know, I'll definitely give it a look, but this is—I'm I'm not super hyped about it. And I was when the run started, and 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 then you know, it just—it's not clicking with me the way I wanted to. Especially considering that there are some really really good things in here. Like I said, the Tombstone uh, arc in particular, I really really liked. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't click with everybody, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm going to withhold judgment because I was a Nick Spencer run defender for the longest time, as our fans know. Um, so, I mean, he's still got a lot of territory to completely tear up before I get that kind of reaction. Um, I get I get what you're saying. I'm just I'm, I guess I'm just going to be more patient um, than that. Um, yeah, see, see, but see that that that's that's where you and I are kind of doing the parting of the ways because of Spencer's never ending. Let's be patient. Let's be patient. Yeah, I think I'm out of patience, man. We're looking at almost <laughs> two dozen. We're looking at almost two dozen issues at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if this were if this were just a straight up monthly book, we're looking at at almost two years worth of comic book storytelling, and and now they're like we might give you some answers. So I don't know, man, I think my patience is running out a little bit. The ride has to be 100% enjoyable too. You know, yeah. uh, you know, if it's, if you're just around for the tease um, of, of possible answers, we saw how horribly that can go in the pants with Spencer's run. Yeah. So um, I'm enjoying parts of the ride, but there are other parts of the ride that really just, they're, they're a notch too bumpy and my seatbelt isn't sitting very well. So I don't know. I wish I could understand why you care about Ben Riley like at all. Like, I wish I could see it. I wish I could see it. Uh, it, it you know, it, I think it has a lot to do with, like, we talked about, we're going to bring this up a lot until we finally do an episode on it, but I think it has a lot to do with, like, the heir to the Empire syndrome, right? Yeah. I was there, man. You know, I read the Clone Saga as it was coming out, you know? Um, and it is not, it's not super surprising that people who were reading it at, at the time could develop a, a an affinity for the character. He was... At the time, because that was the goal of the writers, he was the better Spider-Man, you know? Peter Parker was running around navel-gazing and screaming about how much his life sucks um, and getting more and more violent. And Ben was the guy who was, you know, standing in the corner and he was still, you know, classic Peter, cool as a cucumber, you know? 
Um, and then he did, started making Spider-Man his own. He started doing these things that were later adopted by later writers like Slot into Peter's character, which is like, you know, the gadget making, the the innovating, you know, the the impact webbing and, and how he fights. And um, all of those things really started with Ben Riley. So if you were there at the time, um, he, he's the originator of a lot of those things. Um, so if you love those things, then then, then you kind of love Ben Riley, you know. So they've transplanted a lot of the stuff that made Ben Ben onto Peter these days. Um, and I still make the argument that in a world f- full of metric crap ton spider people, that they cannot think of a single thing that they can do with Ben Riley, except for turning him into a villain now twice. Um, that is a complete lack of imagination on the part of of editorial at Marvel. Period. I think well I think it's I think it's it's much more interestingly done here than it was the first time the first time it was just like I'm on the run I'm an anti-hero guns blazing like now it's like it makes sense he's with a clone of a flagship character of Marvel they are you know join conjoined in their misery at being left behind forgotten whatever um one final note because we could make this the entire episode um i i still me thinks he doth protest too much when it comes to to norman i'll never trust that mofo so i still think the ball is going to drop we're talking a lot about balls dropping well we did as the time recording just was new year's eve last night so uh but yeah i i don't trust norman and i think that might just be like an unfortunate leftover from the spencer mess that he has to deal with and he's he's making chicken salad out of chicken you know what although i don't even necessarily mind the whole can you trust norman no you can't and and wait like that that is that is tension that comes out of the character of norman osborne being a a manipulative sob you know like the guy is gonna be up to something and you're just you're just that that's natural tension from the The lex the the lex luther the lex luther of marvel if you will yeah, exactly. Uh, but the mystery box tension, I'm just not really feeling. It's just, you know, we've just done this with Spencer, and it took it took forever, and then nobody really seemed to like the answer we got at the end. So, you know, I'm just I'm I'm tired of, you know, telling telling me that you're going to eventually give me an answer, maybe. You know, my, one of my friends asked me about the Sin Eater stuff, and I just said, "Don't worry about it. Just read the Zeb Wells run." <laughs> The sad thing is, is Spencer's run had stuff in it too that I really enjoyed. So it's, it's oh, yeah. I'm I'm still in the I'm still in the same boat, you know, with yeah. Wells, and that there's a bunch of stuff I really like, and then there's a bunch of stuff that really just irks me, you know. And it's 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 maybe true that Spider-Man fans can never be truly happy. Well, until we get certain individuals to leave from editorial. So uh, when when you have the the whatever his title is, C.B. Sobolski, saying at a con on panel that Spider-Man being in a long-term committed relationship or marriage or whatever, not being relatable, that's it. Full stop. So you've got to adjust your expectations. Like if you like if, if, if he's Lucy holding the football and if you run up and try to kick it for me, like I'm, I'm shielding my heart at this point. So. Yeah, but I've also kind of stopped reading Amazing, so. Yeah. Um, I will say this. He gave us Kam- he gave us Kamala Khan, our beloved, as a co-worker of Peter. That's great. I can't complain about that. That's almost enough for me to pick up another one. Okay. Almost. Enough 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 about me and my books. Give your up. Uh, wait, hey, listen. 
uh, we kind of teased this one last week because we said we want Jamal Campbell on interior art. And what do we have? Jamal Campbell on interior art. But Jesus Christ, man, I could not restrict myself to one book. I just want to talk about three in one here in what's coming with, with, with the Superman family of books. So, you know, spinning out of uh, Action Comics 1050, which was sort of a... Da, 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 reset button, uh, fixing some of Bendis's mess that he left behind. Um, we, we are kind of launching into a brand new era of the Superman books. Uh, and it's it's really, really cool. Um, I'm really excited for all of this stuff. So what mess, first of all, did Action Comics 1050 fix? Well, Bendis showed up at DC, uh, wrote a little bit something, and then you know broke a bunch of toys and then ran off. Um, you know, he aged up John Kent from being a, a, a preteen to being, you know, in his late teens. Um, he revealed Superman's secret identity and then really never did anything with that reveal. Um, and and so what they did here is they basically put the identity uh, genie back in the box with a totally funny crack by Lex Luthor, by the way, spoilers, about, um, about Spider-Man One More Day. Because uh, the way they, they go about this is that Lex Luthor has determined that a Superman is actually necessary, even though he hates him. Um, but that people cannot see him as human. He has to be godlike to them in order for Superman to be effective. So Lex Luthor uh, uses uh, um, a telepathic character by the name of Manchester Black to basically, you know, wipe the memory of everybody on Earth of Superman's <laughs> secret identity. And he even and he and he now here it comes. He even says. He even says to Superman, you better be glad that I let you keep your marriage. <laughs> oh, my God. And I laughed. It's it's a great, great issue, by the way. But it kind of sets the table for uh, some really cool stuff coming up. So first of all, they are relaunching the uh, old Adventures of Superman title, which is a very storied uh, title, uh, this time focusing on Superman's son, John Kent. So it's Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number one. Uh, it's going to be once again written by Tom Taylor, who uh, wrote the uh, previous um, volume of John Kent's adventures when he was sort of filling in for Superman uh, proper while he was off planet. Um, and it's going to feature art um, by Clayton Henry. And here is a really cool concept for a story. Uh, here's the official tagline. Across the multiverse, Kal-El's are being murdered. Val Zod, the Superman of Earth 2, believes only one man can help stop the killing. Kal-El's son, John Kent. John will have to step across dimensions and face the killer of the Kal-El's, the monstrous Ultraman, uh, which is, by the way, an alternate reality Superman who is evil, uh, the man who kidnapped and tortured him for years. And Val Zod is not acting alone and trying to save the Superman. Who is the mysterious woman alongside him? And what is her shocking connection to the super family? Um, so cool kind of multiverse storytelling going on here, which is something a little different than what John Kent has been involved with uh, up to this point. But what is also really interesting is that there are a crap ton of variant covers, and several of them feature John Kent sporting electric blue Superman powers <laughs> as those of electric Superman from the 90s, which, holy crap, dude. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. As a permanent look and power set for Superman, I never liked electric blue Superman. But as a storyline, it was fantastic. And nobody ever made that cooler back in the day than Grant Morrison in, in JLA. He did so many cool uh, and interesting things with Superman and his electric powers during that run. He was he was served a turd sandwich and he just made it a, a 
just a gourmet five course meal. Um, and so I'm actually interested in seeing that look um, and that power set apply to somebody other than Superman. So if that's really what's happening in this book, um, that'll also, you know, further differentiate John Kent from his dad and, and we'll get, you know, an opportunity to play around with the character a little bit. Plus, dude, Val Zod is back. And it's been way too long since we've seen that character. He's a great, great version uh, of an alternate universe Superman. Um, then over on uh, Superman proper, the title is being relaunched. Uh, it's going to be written by Joshua Williamson with art and covers by Jamal Campbell. Um, and Williamson has already gone on the record as saying that much like his run on The Flash, he wants to touch every corner of Superman's world and deal with every villain in some way, shape, or form. He's just going to run through the classics and just do some really classic Superman storytelling. Um, and this first story arc uh, focuses on the Parasite, who uh, gains apparently a new power set. And Lex Luthor, who is now incarcerated for killing Manchester Black, uh, is going to play a role here and may actually have to help Superman defeat the Parasite. So, you know, heck yeah for Jamal Campbell back on interior art. Oh, 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 also... Uh, just to add to the uh, excitedness here, uh, there is a new anti-hero being added for Metropolis called the Spirit of Metropolis. I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm, obs- I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with her. That design is really something, isn't it? And yeah. so seeing Superman bump up against somebody like that in Metropolis, um, who, who appears to have sort of a bit of a Batman only comes out at night vibe, um, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for this. And then finally, if you're talking about Superman, of course, we're going to have to talk about Action Comics, which is retaining its original numbering. In March, we're going to be at 1053. Um, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is going to continue writing here. Um, He obviously wrote the um, uh, War World arc through Action Comics uh, that has uh, had a really good response where Superman goes and tries to, you know, liberate the people that are enslaved on War World under Mongol. Uh, very cool storyline. So seeing what he does now, I'm, I'm into it. Um, and in Action Comics, we're going to see um, Metallo. And of course, uh, there was a sort of seeds laid in Action Comics 1050 for a big Metallo storyline. So in the entire Superman family of books seems to be you know, looking up. They're they're going to back to classic, you know, Clark Kent at the Daily Planet stuff, you know, bringing back the secret identity. Um, They are, you know, bringing back classic villains and playing around with their power sets and and giving them new storylines, which I think is, you know, really overdue. You got Jamal Campbell on interior art again, which, you know, takes too long sometimes to get that man on interior art but when he's there he he knocks it out of the park we get you know possibility from some electric blue superman on john kent we get some val zod some ultraman i mean as a superman fan i'm eating good in march oh my god okay so i'm obsessed with this i you know there was so much at marvel that i didn't even get to the dc solicit so all three spoilers and go figure Haha, all of mine are coming from Marvel, but Jesus Weezus, there's so much stuff coming from DC that I'm obsessed with. Um, have you read um, Superman Space Age? Because Michael Allred's art is just stunning to me, and I want to dive into It's that. beautiful, yes. It's it's on my list. I've not read it yet, but the but the art is gorgeous. Uh, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm, re- I'm reading uh, Elseworlds Superman stories right now from some Elseworlds collections, and uh, I'm not... There, there may, there may have to be. I might, I may have to write something for our website or something about that because it's quite an experience, dude. Christopher Priest is writing a Superman book. Oh yeah, yeah. Superman. I, Lost. I, I, did, I didn't even. 
Yeah, I was only talking about the main ongoing titles. I think this one's a mini. Um, yeah, ten issues. Yeah. Holy crap! Okay. Also, here's here's a here's we're just gonna be talking for all day. Here's one that I'm 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 all in on. Um, Lazarus Planet: Revenge of the Gods, uh, Wonder Woman book written by G. Willow Wilson, the God. Uh, Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad. I I need to get caught up on Wonder Woman books. Oh, I I've taken a hiatus since Nubia was was wrapped up, but oh man, there's so much stuff here. Oh. Sorry. Um, okay, this is what I was going to ask you originally. Where can I jump on for this Superman ride? Can it can it be Action Comics 1050, or do I scale back before that? I think you can do Action Comics 1050. Basically, all you need to know is that Superman was off-world, and his son uh, has been filling in for him, and then Action Comics 1050 just kind of sets the stage for what they're going to do in the future. You know, they reestablish the secret identity, and you kind of move some chairs around to get everything ready for this but I, you know if i would say um uh this, um son of kal-el which was the jonathan kent book, i read i read uh, the is, first is, three or four and i liked it i just fell off because there's so many books i'm reading yeah i, I don't think there's i don't think they even hit it to 20 issues before this relaunch so that should be an easy catch-up um and if you're really feeling like it i think the entire um action comics war world arc is up on DC Universe Infinite, and it's totally uh, worth the price of admission. If you ever wanted to see Superman, uh, you know, like loincloth style, gladiator style, this is about as wild as it gets. It's really good. Um, but yeah, if you're just looking for this new direction, I would say Action Comics 1050. Uh, that's where I would start. It's funny you say that because, you know, part of this break that we had from school, I've revisited the original justice league and i watched the war world episodes from season one last night so a great great intro but yeah spirit of metropolis i'm obsessed with her and you know bring in a black female character you know that's my gateway yeah i'm just really excited for for superman to just like be a focal point like it is you know like you can really tell that they're they're getting some good people on the books and they're they're you know putting some effort into this and i'm just excited for this i really am um I remember all those, um, you know, advertisements that they had of Superman Bendis is coming, um, and it was it was it was not what I think Superman needed in the long run. That whole run was just a mess. So um, I'm I'm glad that things are snapping back into place here, and I'm really looking forward to this stuff. All right, Chris, that brings us to uh, your uh, second uh, book that you're looking forward to. Man, I love, we talked about this last week, I think, but I love a good anthology. And it's just fun to have so many different creators featured in the spotlight. Um, I've been a huge proponent of the Marvel's Voices um, anthologies, both Legacy, uh, Comunidades, and all of them. The Pride stuff, it's been fantastic just to see so many different creators from different backgrounds just cook and, and, and just and just be awesome uh so the next one coming up in march for women's history month is the women of marvel um, i'm going to read the solicit here marvel's fiercest heroines take the spotlight in an all-new women of marvel one shot get in now for a preview of the women creators taking marvel comics by storm power ranger scribe melissa flores sends america chavez 
on a pulse-punching adventure. She-Hulk uh, she steers straight into the gutters, and she loves it. Silk spins a wild web through New York City. All this and more as Women of Marvel celebrates more than 10 years of uplifting the characters and creators you know and love and the ones you're about to. I can't be more excited about this. I love strong female protagonists. I think that's the one common thread through our entire show. Plus, with any of these anthologies, you get dope variant covers that almost make me want to dive back into uh you know collecting physical comics if for no other reason than i need you know classroom decoration um what i've done with my other physical comics i'm just super excited to see um these women go off and just write awesome stuff yeah i'm in yeah that's 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 it i'm in i i really do like a good anthology as well um spoken about that plenty of times um, and I'm, you know, I came up in a family full of strong women. And so I have a great affinity for, you know, great female characters and female artists and female writers. And this, this book is just tailor-made. I'm there. I'm going to read this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. All right, Dave, one of the, um, bright spots of, you know, the, the recent DC on screen adaptations has been Doom Patrol and you're, you're, you're bringing us to the comics. Yeah, so um, obviously, if you want, uh, you know, to read good Doom Patrol, there are, you know, several options out there in the world, the biggest one, of course, and the one that should never be forgotten, <clears throat> Grant Morrison, they rock, uh, they rock everything that they ever write. Uh, so if you want good Doom Patrol, Morrison's Doom Patrol is uh, definitely a place where you'd want to start. However, we're getting a, uh, we're getting a new Doom Patrol book, um, written by Dennis Culver. Uh, with art and covers by uh, Chris Burnham. And I have to say, um, I'm excited. Uh, the art looks really good and the, the conceit looks interesting. And I'm just, you know, I'm there. I, I want more Doom Patrol. And I'm still waiting for DC to do a good job of capitalizing on the, the critical acclaim that they've gotten for their Doom Patrol uh, television series. So um, here we go. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number one. Um, the world's strangest heroes are back in the DC universe after the events of Lazarus Planet. Don't ask. More people uh, than ever have active metagenes. Most of these new metahumans have become misfits, shunned and imprisoned by a fearful society. They're hidden away in the dark, lost to a system that only sees them as weapons or guinea pigs, ticking time bombs that can only be diffused by the unstoppable Doom Patrol. Robot Man, Elastowoman, and Negative Man are joined by their brand new teammates, Beast Girl and Degenerate. Best name ever, Degenerate. Best name. <laughs> and, led by, and led by Crazy Jane's mysterious new alter, The Chief, on a mission of saving the world by saving the monsters. I think I really like the conceit of this. Um, it almost sort of reeks of like classic X-Men a little bit, you know, like go and save the, the misfits, you know. Um, and I just, I really think that there's something here. There's, there's, there's a strong foundation for something cool. So I, I'm all about like getting me some more Doom Patrol. Yeah, I, I was, it's, it sounds like what I wanted Marauders to be and what it was for the first six or seven issues. And then it fell away from, I, I wanted the, the mutant pirates to go and save the world and, and save, you know, the underprivileged and the downcast. And then it just went into something completely different, which was fine, but it's not what I wanted. Um, I will say that the bits of Doom Patrol that I've seen, again, I've been all over the place with my reading and viewing habits, um, but the scenes that I saw from Diane Guerrero uh, 
as Crazy Jane was one of the most standstill, like mouth agape acting performances I've ever seen. To be able to switch between all those different personalities and alters was just stunning. So I'm 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 in for this book. Yeah, yeah, it's an exciting time uh, if you like the TV show to get another Doom Patrol book. I really hope they knock this one out of the park. I'm I'm just really ready for it, man. All right, that brings us to uh, the final book that you're excited for, Chris. What have you got? So I'm excited for the new mini. I teased this a little bit because one of my faves, Lucas Wernick, did a variant cover for it, but Rogan Gambit... uh, Number one of five, another little mini series about one of my favorite couples in comics, written by Stephanie Phillips, who has crossed over from DC art uh, by Carlos Gomez. Um, Krakoa is on a precipice. Destiny alone can see what's coming, but the precog cannot act. For that, she'll need her adoptive daughter, Rogue. Husbands need not apply, but with mutant duty stealing Rogue away so much these days, Gambit is determined to make the most of the mission and put some Cajun spice back into their increasingly complicated love affair. He just has to make it out of the bar first. Powerhouse writer Stephanie Phillips of Harley Quinn, Wonder Woman, Millie the Spy, joins fan favorite artist Carlos Gomez, Exterminators, Amazing Spider-Man for a thrill ride that'll lay bare some of Krakoa's biggest secrets. Um, one of one of my increasing frustrations over the past few years, as much as I love the X books, has been how separate um, they have been, Rogan Gambit. And one of the great little one-off issues of Jerry Duggan's X-Men series was, you know, now that Destiny is has been resurrected, uh, she, of course, was dead during their marriage, and she cannot stand Gambit. And there's nothing better um, in some storytelling tropes than the disapproving mother-in-law, especially one who has precognition powers and can see the future. So um, I'm really excited about this. I loved um, Kelly Thompson's um, work with... um, Uh, Rogan Gambit before and to see Stephanie Phillips who is a new creator to me I've followed her stuff peripherally but I've not read any of her work but I've heard great things about I'm excited to see Rogan Gambit at the forefront again and stop separating them through other world and all this nonsense yeah it's interesting Um, I I always like the combination of those two characters Um, dare I say I ship them Um, I always (laughs) always enjoyed how they played off each other Um, and I know they've done uh, a book like this before, pre Krakoa. That was Rogue and Gambit. That was not not half bad. Um, so I'm I'm definitely willing to give this a shot. Of course, I have sort of a, a, a fraught relationship with Krakoa era X Men. Um, I know that a lot of X Men fans sort of celebrate that massive expansion that that world has uh, experienced. Uh, it's almost become too unwieldy for somebody who doesn't want to, you know read everything <laughs> so i i struggle sometimes you know being in the know it almost seems like the x-men universe it's almost an entire you know publishing line of yeah, its own at sure. this point um and so you know i struggle a little bit keeping up with the various parts there are good things and things i've enjoyed about that era and things i've not enjoyed so much um but this looks like something that i could uh, i could take some pleasure out of man yeah, I know that it's I I still maintain I know that it's daunting from the outset and as a newcomer I I totally get it. But um there are several Krakoa X books that I haven't kept up with in months if not years. Um Wolverine I kind of have a hit or miss relationship with. So I haven't read his book in about a year. I haven't read X-Force. 
Um, there are several books that just don't appeal to me. So, and, and it's fine. So it's almost like a choose your own adventure. Like what characters are you interested in? You can look at the roster and just go full force with them. Or maybe there's a creator that you like and you can get behind. Um, not all, not all the, the X books have been home runs for me personally. So, um, but I, I totally get where you're coming from. All right. It would not be a Dave special if it wasn't an indie book. Yeah, yeah, you know, I love DC, but I also love me some indies. And who has been knocking it out of the park more than uh, Boom Studios? I don't think really anybody's been knocking it out of the park quite like Boom Studios lately. Um, and so in March, we're getting a uh, a new book from them, a five-issue uh, miniseries called Neighbors. Um, and and it looks, it looks to be something that is really, truly up my alley with some absolutely gorgeous art. And if the storytelling can keep pace... Um, I, I think we're in for a treat here. Um, so here, here is the solicit. When Janet and Oliver Gaudi move to a quaint mountain town, their daughter Casey becomes part of a horrific chain of events, revealing that their neighbors are anything but what they seem. Soon, an unsettling old woman named Agnes Early fixates on Janet and Oliver's other daughter, two-year-old Isabel. It becomes clear that it's impossible to know who to trust or who is even still human. Steeped in Irish and English folklore and mythology, Jude Ellison S. Doyle, who uh, wrote Maud, joins artist Letitia Candonisi, I hope I said that right, uh, who did art on House of Slaughter. And let me tell you, uh, House of Slaughter was a gorgeous book. Uh, and colorist Alessandro Santoro to, treat, uh, to tread new ground in Changeling Horror. A tale perfect for fans of Eat the Rich and The Nice House on the Lake. And let me tell you, The Nice House on the Lake, also a fantastic book. So, um, you know, I like me some horror. I love me some folklore and mythology. Um, I have Irish ancestors, so I have an affinity for that anyways. The art is gorgeous. Um, and I am really here for this. It just, it, it looks spot on, man. I'm all about checking out Neighbors from Boom Studios. Yeah, this is absolutely stunning. This is not on my radar at all. Um your conversion therapy into horror has been somewhat successful. And so I'm intrigued for this. Um, I have another you know, segment of my friend group um, in, in the uh, X of words community that is all about books like this. And so I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. I'm glad to hear that because uh, you don't have to be a lover of horror necessarily to appreciate the occasional horror story. Um, and I, I know you enjoy mythology um, mm -hmm. so this, this might be something that's right up your alley, my man. All righty, folks, there you have it. Those are the big books that we are excited for coming in March of 2023. What are you excited for? Find us on social media, Twitter, on Twitter and Instagram at nerd by word or individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris. We'd love to hear what you are most excited to pick up in the month of March. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's going to be time for nerd commendations. So stick around. Ladies and gentle nerds, we're back with this week's Now, what better way to end an episode than to talk about some books that are absolutely worth your time? Chris, what have you got this week? Well, I would love to talk about books that are worth my time, but I'm actually nerd commending a Disney Plus series. 
Um, How dare you, sir? <laughs> we oh, read on this podcast. <laughs> listen, I am. I have detailed before on the show how OCD I am, and just how how much of an oddball I am when it comes to when I'm in something, I'm all the way in. So I've been listening to slash reading this this air trilogy i'm almost halfway through the third and final book i've been making ground over the past you know week or two um and so that really has put you know star wars at the at the forefront of my fandom time you know right now so i'm I'm playing uh a, a game that i'm gonna nerd commend next week um but um i'm also i just wrapped up uh tales of the jedi from disney plus and i cannot say enough about how much i love it it took the best elements of the clone wars you know animated series and just it, it distilled it down to the good stuff we you know with uh, you know you always make a caveat when you you know recommend the clone wars animated series to someone like there's a lot of boring stuff you're gonna have to just trim the fat watch these episodes exclude these others but this was just the good stuff because they're shorts it's just a series of six shorts they're about 15 minutes and you know with disney plus that just means like four minutes of credits so it's only about 10 or 11 minutes the actual episode um and interestingly it has you know as as is you want to do with star wars and bringing balance to the force you have um about half it's, it's about a four to two but but the two characters that it focuses on are count dooku and ahsoka tano uh blessed be her name and uh it's just really interesting it's kind of getting some depth and context around their their characters it was nothing truly groundbreaking nothing shocking reveals uh, in my opinion but like it just kind of filled in some blank spaces um you know, the first episode is Ahsoka as an infant and, you know, some hijinks kind of take place and it's kind of revealed her force sensitivity um, at a young age. <clears throat> and then um, you get Dooku as a younger character with Qui-Gon Jinn as his his Padawan learner. Uh, and then you go into a story that features um, Dooku and Mace Windu on a mission together. And then you get uh, Dooku's betrayal. Uh, and it features uh, the the much chirped about character of Jedi Master Yaddle. Um, actually, it is 3-3 balance. Um, and then you get a really great training episode with um, Anakin and Ahsoka. Far and away the best thing to come out of the Clone Wars animated series, in my opinion. And then the final episode is um ahsoka on the run and you know trying to hide out after order 66 so highly recommend uh this is just more ammunition in my um ahsoka supremacy propaganda and all the more reason for me to be excited about the ahsoka series coming up hmm. might have to check this out I guess I guess it's okay not to read once, right? Yeah, it's 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 a quick uh, quick run through. I usually put it on while I was eating or something. So, like, if you sat down and watched it all the way through, you could probably get through it in like an hour and a half, two hours. Ah, I, I think I'm I think I'm here for this. I think I might have to give this a look. When Star Wars clicks, it's amazing, and yes. when Star Wars sucks, it sucks. It sucks like a Hoover Dam. So, uh, I'm 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 really. If you're telling me this clicks, then I'm I'm here for it. 
All right, Dave, your nerd commendation this week is really fascinating. You've been giving me droplets and teases throughout as you're texting me the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so um, I, you were incredibly pushy uh, with uh, Tanahasi Coates' run on Black Panther and, and wanting me to read it. Um, and I think you even gave it to me as like a homework assignment for the first I did. batch of I issues did. or and something I... at one point. And do it again. And I, and I will freely, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll believe you. Um, and I freely admit that I liked it, but it didn't quite click with me the way it clicked with you. Um, and I'm a huge, huge, huge did Captain do, America did fan. You do, uh, did you do the second part? You did you do Intergalactic Empire? I no, did not. No, and because maybe, that and maybe that's the missing the, piece. That wasn't part. That wasn't part of the homework. Um, I, I, yes. I, 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 the boring geopolitical nerd history nerd social studies and nerd in me like that nation building stuff which you know we're fellow history nerds but maybe that doesn't scratch your itch but that intergalactic part the second second volume another 25 issues i mean I'm not saying it's homework but don't push me uh but yeah sorry you're a segment not mine <laughs> so i'm a huge captain america fan a particularly a huge fan of brew baker's run you know that brought the whole winter soldier stuff about and all that i, I read the entire brew baker run and adored it uh, and then i tried you know i dipped my toe in a couple other captain america runs and didn't quite um hit me the same way and so i just you know backed away and read some other stuff um and then uh, the other night i was trying to read something on dc universe infinite and the app kept crashing um, so I was like, all right, switching to Marvel. And the first recommended thing was uh, Captain America run by Tanahasi Coates. And I was like, well, um, why not? 30 issues, I can do this. So uh, I have to say, it's my nerd commendation. Tanahasi Coates on Captain America is a is a freaking revelation. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm gonna read you like the tagline for the first trade, but there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I'll try to make it um, quick, but... Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of what's going on here, but but there's a lot going on here. Um, so here's the tagline for the first trade. It's winter in America. For over 70 years, Captain America has stood in stalwart defense of our country and its people. But in the aftermath of Hydra's takeover of the nation, Cap is a figure of controversy carrying a tarnished shield, and a new enemy is rising. Who are they, and how do they intend to co-opt and corrupt the symbol that is Captain America? Distrusted by a nation that seems to have lost faith in him, Steve Rogers is a man out of time and out of options. Where can a now unsanctioned Captain America turn for aid and assistance in order to stem the rise of the cabal of influence brokers known as the power elite? Um, you know, if you're doing like Captain America's distrusted, the symbol is tarnished, that, that's, you know, that, that's a great jumping on point for the story and we are talking about like the aftermath of the whole hydra cap thing you know secret empire and all that which was not captain america as you find out in the story but still public perception has shifted against him um that's already a great starting out point but Coates does not really just like sit on that and use that he really digs in with this one and 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 talks about all sorts of you know, hot button issues and things that are, um, you know, important in, in, in this day and age in the country and really does just a fantastic job commenting on it. Uh, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, domestic terror, um, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the sense in the heartland, quote unquote, flyover country that, you know, people are being left behind, 
um, the the notion of of the the toxic bros online, right? And what does it mean to be a real man? Uh, militias, um, trafficked migrants. Um, you know, uh, there's a there's a, a sub storyline that involves a cop killer. Um, there is just so much, so many moving parts here uh, that are absolutely fascinating, and seeing that through the lens of this idealist, which is you know what Steve Rogers is, um, is, is absolutely fascinating. Um, he also really digs in on Sharon Carter's character. I think um, he he even kind of outright lets the character say it out loud once, which is. Um, I'm kind of tired of getting saved. I want to save myself for a change. Um, and so Sharon Carter gets a, just wonderful moments in the series to shine and to stand on her own as a character. Um, there's also a really cool introduction of this uh, this notion. I think it's called the Daughters of Liberty, um, an all-female group that is sort of works behind the scenes and tries to uh, protect the country and recruits. Um, for now from like the superhero community, you get wonderful people jumping in and out of the book um, White Tiger is there. Um, you, you talked about her quite a bit, and I'm really starting to see the appeal thanks to the series. Misty Knight is a, is a big part of the book. Um, Echo uh, is in the book as well. Spider Woman pops up, Mockingbird. Um, Invisible Woman uh, pops in and out of the book a few times as part of this group. Um, that is a real, real cool way of adding um, to the um, the mythology, I guess, around Captain America. Um so the whole book is incredibly cohesive. And I know because of the pandemic, it you know, went through some delays. But if you just you know go on Marvel Unlimited and you read all 30 issues sort of you know back to back without any major delays, it's incredibly cohesive telling a an overarching story with a clear beginning, middle and end with commentary on real world issues with lots of superhero action, uh, treats its female characters with with respect Um and and does really good by you know kind of maintaining the the best characterizations that we've seen of Steve Rogers as a character. Uh, Rogers himself actually narrates the book, um, and, and Coates has a great voice for Steve Rogers in in this book. So I I adored this run. I would say that it's the best Captain America run that I have read since Brubaker's run. It's absolutely worth checking out, Chris. Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. Um, I'm someone who here's here's my relationship with the character is um, the the whole controversy about Nick Spencer's original Captain America run. That's the only Captain America run I've ever read, and so I was there from the ground up when that new issue released, or, or shortly thereafter when the Hail Hydra thing you know, showed up, I was just like, oh God, I I was intrigued and I was hooked. And I think that um, contextually, when that book was released, that was the rise of Donald Trump and Trumpism. And so the the speeches that Red Skull was giving were like carbon copied of the type of stuff that Donald Trump was spewing. Um, and so it was fascinating to me. And so the whole secret empire thing was, was something that I, I enjoyed because I thought it was a smart thing to play with. And, and one reason that I was interested and intrigued for Spencer coming to ASM, we all know how that turned out. However, a secret empire was fascinating to me. And so, um, I think the world of ta Coates, um, that, that Black Panther run is something that just really just speaks to me. Um, 
And so I think I, I think I read the first issue of this before I just, you know, again, became distracted because there's so many books that I'm reading. This also came out in Krakoa era. So um, that's what I spent most of my time focused on keeping up with. Um, but yeah, I'm in, I'm here for this because I think the symbolism and like the, the metatextual intersectionality of this book is so, so smart and so well done. And, and even Spencer did that well in his time. So I can imagine, um, I, I, I even love Coates's work outside of comics, you know, what he, what he makes the big bucks for, you know, and, and his academia type stuff. Um, in his essays and, and publications. So um, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan and I'm, I'm ready to dive in on this one. It's, it's totally worth it. It's 30 issues. It's all on Marvel unlimited um, it ran from 2018 to 2021. Um, and it, it's, it's a fantastic Captain America title. Alrighty, folks. Well, there you have it. That's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please jump on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a rating and a review and subscribe so you never miss another episode. You can find us wherever podcasts are available. Uh, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and of course, our very own spiffy website, nerdbyword.com. And also be sure to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at NerdByWord, that Nerd Dave, that Nerd Chris, uh, respectively, uh, individually. Um, and as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd By Word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.